Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from John's Gospel. We're going to read all or most of all of chapter 11 as we continue on in our sermon series called Beloved, where we are walking through John's gospel. John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the point of this series is to communicate this very simple idea that in the same way that Christ loved and had a special relationship with John, he has that same relationship with you, his disciple, and he calls you his beloved. Our lesson this morning, as I said, is from John chapter 11. We're going to read chunks of verses at a time. So I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles or your devices open and also look up on the screen behind me. We'll start at verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord so far. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I was hoping to talk to you. 
When a grown man wearing a dark colored suit and wearing gold chains stops you outside of a public restroom and says to you, I was hoping to talk to you, it's usually not a good thing. But I knew who this gentleman was. I had a feeling I knew what he wanted to talk about. It's just a few months earlier that I had ministered to him and his family when his grandfather passed away. On the evening that his grandfather entered eternity and went to heaven, the family called me up and they asked if I would come over and share God's word with them, pray and have a devotion with just a few members of the family. Of course. I drove over to their house and it was in a busy part of town. So it made sense that I had to park a block and a half at least away from their house. There was cars parked everywhere. And yet I opened up the door and I realized that the reason why I had to park so far away, because all of those cars out there belonged to all of the people that were inside this house. One of the family members told me that there must have been 60 relatives in this house that was by no means enormous. There was adults sitting everywhere, adults on the benches in the hallway, adults sitting on every piece of furniture, adults sitting on the stairway, adults sitting on the countertops. And then someone shouted, hey, get up, let pastor sit there. To the person sitting in the big comfy leather couch in the middle of the living room. So I did. I sat down there and I opened up my Bible and I read from John chapter 11. I read the story to this family who's grieving the loss of their grandfather, husband, father, and friend. The same words that you just heard and are about to hear. I don't really remember too much of what I said. But what I do remember is looking around the room, looking up at all of the people who were listening to me. And I remember seeing one face in particular, this young man's faith, wearing a red shirt, still the gold chains at the back of the room. He was standing on his tiptoes to make sure he saw and heard everything that I was saying. He was hanging on every word, word of the Lord and doing his best to make sure no one saw him wiping up the tears that he had in his eyes. When he stopped me outside of the, of the bathroom and he said to me, I was looking for you, I, I wanted to talk to you. He wanted to talk about death. He wanted to talk about his grandfather's death, his grief, but also his, his eternal life. You might think it's remarkable. It was, it was a couple months later. You might think it was also remarkable that it wasn't at the funeral he wanted to talk or the, the weeks after that. No, we were there at his sister's wedding celebration. It was a beautiful, glorious, wonderful, happy occasion. And yet that was on his mind. And that should be real no real surprise at all. 
because grief and death, it eviscerates us. It, it, it empties us out. It empties out our souls like, like nothing else can. Death is something that, that brings up a, a whole lot of questions. It, it maybe even puts you on an island, makes you feel like it's something that you don't want to talk about or that you can't talk about, and yet you can't process on your own. And so you do need to talk about it with, with someone Death opens you up and, and it challenges you to the deepest core beliefs that you have, the deepest beliefs that you have about God. One pastor who I really, really admire said this. He said, when you, that is Christian, when you Christians suffer grief and loss because of death, you will deeply question God. And if you don't, and if you don't, you aren't really processing death or you have a special gift of faith. You have a special, extra special gift of the Holy Spirit filling you up with a measure of faith. And the reason why is because for the normal Christian, death is something that, that pushes you to the cliff of a crisis of faith. It drives you to ask questions about God and about his love for you. God, if you love me, why did you take them from me? God, if you love them, why didn't you take them sooner? Why, why did you let them suffer so long? God, why is there people who are less faithful than me whom you let them enjoy their loved ones a lot longer? God, why? And the, and the list of questions, it gets longer and longer and longer. I bring this all up because today we're going to talk about grief. Specifically, we're going to talk about grief as, as Jesus experienced it, as he lost someone he loves. But not only how Jesus entered our experience of grief, he fixed the problem of grief. He fixed the problem of grief and he showed us, taught us three wonderful truths he loves, he knows, and he enlivens. God knows us and he knows our grief. He loves us very deeply and that's most helpful to know in, in moments of grief. And he enlivens, that is, he gives life to you and all who believe in him. And that means that you and I can therefore, even amid grief, grief of all kinds, experience joy, and dare I say, even laughter. We're going to look at that today, and it's important to do so because I know that, that there are people here this morning or that there are people online who are dealing with grief. And if you're not, that's okay too, because at some point in your life, you or your loved ones likely both, will experience grief. And I pray that this sermon, wherever you're at, is a comfort to you, that the words of God to you today as you see your Savior not only grieve the loss of his loved one, but give life to him, our comfort for you now and in eternity. 
So we're gonna look at how Jesus teaches us that he knows us, he loves us, and he enlivens us as we continue on with this story in John chapter 11. Here we are, we're gonna pick it up at verse 17 if you're following along. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. We'll pause there. When death, when grief comes into your life, we're looking at three truths that Jesus knows, he loves, and he enlivens. But first this, that Jesus knows. He understands. And I want to show that to you by, by maybe backing up and looking at what took place behind the experience where, where Martha and Jesus met on the road to their home. Think about what happened before that. You know, you the reader, you know, that Jesus found out about his friend Lazarus, someone whom he loves while he was still alive. He was sick. And what did Jesus do? He sat. He waited. In fact, he even sat for days and days, and he says it. Why? So that it's good that he wasn't there. So it was good that he would then go after Lazarus died. And so it makes sense, especially from Martha's point of view, that when she meets her Savior, here is a woman who is in a crisis of faith on the cliff of crisis about things that she believed. She knew that she had faith in Christ, and yet she was shocked. She believed in him, and yet she couldn't believe why Jesus would let this happen. She said it. She said it. She knew it. She said, Jesus, if you had been there, but you weren't, he would not have died. But he did. Lord, why? Believing is not only knowing that Jesus can, 
But believing is also knowing that Jesus loves you and will do everything for your good. And intellectually, Martha knew that. But right now, she very much struggled with that. If you had been there, he wouldn't have died. But he's dead. But I know. I know, Lord. God will give you what you want. It's important to just stop and see her emotion, how real and raw that it is. Because it is for you too. When you experience grief, when you experience the loss of someone you love, those same questions, they're there. Jesus, why is it like you were falling asleep? Why is it that you weren't here for me? Why is it that you weren't here to do the thing that you know, or at least I think you know, would have been good? God, why? And it's important to see how Jesus reacts to that as he reacts to Martha as he responds to Martha. He doesn't berate her. He doesn't say, how dare you question me, Martha? You should have known. He takes her critique because he, the object of her faith and ours, is bigger than her crisis of faith. And so he lets the critiques and the questions come because he knew And he knows, he knows how very hard it is for people who love him, people who trust him to wrestle with that even as they deal with their grief. So he just listens. He just listens to her because he knows And he knows for you. And that's an important truth for us to just stop and realize that he knows, that he knows everything. He knows the grief you're dealing with. He knows the questions you're asking. He knows the struggles you endure. He knows this. And you might say, yeah, Matt, I know God knows everything. I know he's omniscient. That doesn't change anything. But listen, he knows more than just intellectually or divinely, he knows all things. This story shows you anything, it's that he knows experientially. He knows what it's like to grieve. He knows what it's like to mourn. He knows what it's like to experience this on even our worst days. And that's where we need to back up maybe a little further than what took place on the road outside their home in Bethany. That was the last time, or one of the times, that Jesus was at the home of his friends, Mary and Martha. You know he had been there before. You read Luke chapter 10. Jesus was there. He was teaching. He was sitting with Mary and Martha. And you know, there's Mary, the golden child who can't do anything wrong. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to everything he can. And there's Martha off going 110 miles per hour, getting everything ready for Jesus to enjoy a meal. And she even scolds Mary and says, Jesus, tell her to help me out. Come on, Jesus. You remember how it went, right? Martha, Martha. Jesus says, come on, Martha. 
Mary has chosen the one thing, the one thing that's necessary. That's me. And it won't be taken from her. I share that story with you because that's often the rap, the reputation that Martha gets. Bad day. (laughs) That wasn't really who she is though. As you'll see from the word she's about to speak, she had many, many good days with Jesus. Sitting, listening to who he was and tell what he was all about. So Jesus patiently listens to her, even even on her worst moments. And he reminds her, he reminds us of the simple truth that he knows because he's going to drop an even bigger, more profound truth that's going to pull Martha and you and I up out of our grief. He says this to her. He says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. (laughs) Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't quite know what I'm talking about. He says, yes, I know that you know he will rise again at the last day, but I'm gonna tell you something else, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, I don't just give resurrection, I am the resurrection. I don't just give life, I am life, Martha. Everything that you hope, everything that you wonder, everything that you worried about is found in me. All the peace, all of the hope, all of the joy of resurrection is in me because I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And Martha shouts, I believe, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And that's the truth. That is the bigger truth that that lifts you and me, not only out of our worst days, but out of our graves. That lifts you and me, not only out of our doubts, our moments of worry, our moments of concern, but lifts you and me and all those who look to Christ in faith up on the last day. Because death comes. Death comes for us all, but when it comes, Christ comes. And he comes bringing the resurrection and the life. He knows, and he also loves. Let's continue on with verse 32. Martha had just gotten Mary. And so when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? God's word so far. You see it again. A faith-filled person on the cliff 
of crisis of faith. Mary comes and says the very same thing her sister said, Lord, if you would have been here, but you weren't, my brother would not have died, but he did. And see how the word of God shows God responding. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept. And just to realize in that short, short verse, the big, big truth that is to comfort you, that Jesus is not some ethereal spirit God who's just super far, far away. He is a God who has come for you and he knows you. He feels deeply for you. He loves you. He wept. He wept and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And therefore it's crucial to understand. It's crucial to understand not only that he wept, but why he wept. And this is the second truth today. And that is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and he feels for you very, very deeply. If you read through this chapter again on your own, you're gonna see back in verse four, verse six, verse 40, again and again, what Jesus is being introduced as is the friend who loves, the friend who loves, loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus very, very much. The friend who calls those people his beloved and you, his beloved as well. He said, come on. I know that from scripture. I know God loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, but he had a, he had a pretty special relationship with Mary and Martha, with Lazarus. That's why he cared so deeply. He can't possibly care that much for me. But he does. And to get you to understand that, think about this question. Well, if he loved Mary and Martha so much, why did he let them suffer here? Why did he let them suffer the grief? He knew Lazarus was going to raise. He knew he was going to raise him up. Why did he let him suffer? Why did he let Lazarus die and suffer and all the friends grieve if he loved them so much? The answer is because he wanted you too to know that you are his beloved. Can I share with you a grief illustration that, that is popular in counseling and psychology that, that's really helpful? The illustration is this, that this this box or basket, if you will, represents death and the experience of it in your life. Maybe someone close to you has died. And inside that experience, inside that box is you, this ball, and your grief, the pain. You experience grief, you experience pain whenever when whenever you bounce up against it and it hurts, and it's often, especially as the experience is, is near, as it's, as it's small, you roll around and go through life always bumping into it. And if it was heavier, this ball, you would hear it continually bounce up against the pain and the great grief, and you would feel that. And what this illustration does is 
is it shows us why when, when death of a loved one is, is near, and even if, if it's not, if the experience of it is, is close by, we often will bump into pain and grief. The illustration is helpful because it also explains why when time goes on and the experience isn't so tight, isn't so close, that you, you still experience grief. You still experience pain, but if you can see it, you don't bounce up against it so often. It, it explains why the gentleman at the beginning of the sermon, well, he experienced it even months after, and, and you too, you experience it weeks and months and, and even years after, but the frequency, it's, it's different. You don't bump into it so much or maybe as often. And yet, if I had a bigger basket up here, we could roll it around and, and you'd see that you still do hit it. You still do grieve from time to time and it's okay, it's, it's normal. It's there and it always will be there. It's a good analogy to help us think through how we process and how we deal with painful and sad situations that bring grief into our life. But the analogy limps. It limps in just one area. And that's that it doesn't account for Christ. It doesn't account for Christ for you, who loves you, who knows you, who has literally stepped into your experience of grief and the experience of death, and he holds you in, your, in his hands. And so, yes, in this life, you experience the rolling around, the bumping up against it, but he is there. He has conquered death. In fact, the Bible goes a step further, and he says he has vanquished death, and it's no longer a thing. It doesn't hold you. Yes, you experience the physical death in life, but the spiritual death is no more. And because of Christ, the eternal death doesn't touch you. He holds you in his hands. It's because he loves you so deeply that when death came, he came for you and suffered the death you could not to give you the life that we could not gain on our own because he is the resurrection and the life And he brings all of those things to you. Jesus knows, he loves, and he also enlivens. Here's our final point. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The gospel of our Lord.
I've heard it said that the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus is one of the greatest miracles, but also one of the timeliest. Timely, not only because he had been dead for four days and there were people gathered around, but because of what would happen in a few days. Another resurrection. In just a few days after this, Jesus would die. And he would perform another resurrection, but just that, this time not on someone else. He would resurrect himself. He would lay down his life and then pick it back up again. And he did this so that you would have life. See, Jesus prayed a prayer to God that he wanted you and all those gathered around there to hear. In just a few days, Jesus would pray another prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. He would pray, Lord, why? Why do I have to take on this death? If there's any other way, please let it pass from me. Lord, please, if there's any other way, I don't want to deal with the death. But you know how God answered that prayer. He said, no. He said no, and you also know the reason why he said no. It was so that others would have life in Christ. And Jesus knew that. He knew that prayer was coming. He knew that death was coming. He knew that life was coming. And so here, as Mary and Martha prayed a very similar prayer to Jesus, God, please, this death, if there's any other way, don't let it be a thing here for us. Jesus said no. And the reason was the same so that others might have life. You look at this story and you wonder why, why it is that Lazarus died and why it is that Jesus let him die. Why is it that, that grief was allowed to come so fiercely into the life of Mary and Martha? Jesus tells us why. He says the answer is so that you might believe, so that others might believe that God has sent me, so that you might see the glory of God, that you might have life in his name. That's why this story happened. That is why Jesus allowed this death to happen so that you might believe his name and have life in him. So that you and I, even now, weeks before Easter, in the middle of the season of Lent, can celebrate a mini Easter. It's because you and I know the truth. The truth that you're about to sing in just a few moments, that I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. That you can sing out loud with confidence these words that he lives to comfort me when my heart is faint. He lives to hear my soul's complaint because he knows. You can sing with all courage. He lives to silence all my fears. He lives to wipe away all my tears because you know he loves you. And you can sing, he lives to give me daily breath. He lives that I shall conquer death. And no, that wasn't me misspeaking, that you will and already have conquered death because the victory that Christ has given you through his glorious resurrection, he's already made your own. So death is no longer a thing. It cannot touch you. Yes, there is gonna be a dark 
cloud called grief that passes through your life time and time again. But the cloud will not envelop you. The cloud will not hang over you because Christ has come. And know that when death comes, when grief comes, Christ has already come for you and he knows, he loves, and he gives you life. Imagine what that means for your life right now. Maybe imagine what that means for your life right now by just thinking about what that meant for Lazarus. To help us imagine that, actually, there was a play written about the moments in Lazarus's life just after this. It was a play written by a gentleman named Eugene O'Neill, and the play picks up right where our lesson ends. The play starts with a man in a dark, dark tomb standing up and seeing the stone get rolled away. He comes out and he hears Jesus' command to take off the grave clothes and his friends do. He takes off, they take off the grave clothes on him. And the very first thing that Lazarus does is he goes and he embraces Jesus because of course, what else would you do? And then Lazarus goes about his life as normal. Well, at least as normal as life can be after coming back from the dead. Lazarus goes about life as normal, but as he does, everything about him is different. He's calm, never anxious. He's brave, never afraid of all of the things that life pushes down on you to diminish your life and, and take the vitality out of you. He, he experiences no fear. He starts to chuckle. He starts to have this little laugh about everything that he goes through in life. And his laugh is contagious. Other people pick up on it. And it's not a laugh that is any way disrespectful, that is any way a mockery, that is in any way, oh, somewhat uh, condescending. It's a laugh that's sincere. It's an amusement and a joy in life that, that brushes aside anything that doesn't matter because he knows very clearly, in fact, more clearly than anybody else, all that does matter in life and eternal life. And his laugh is contagious. Other people start to pick up on it. His house is called a house of laughter because there's always joy going on at Lazarus' home. People who had beef, uh, they start to unite. The community that he lives in starts to experience more and more peace why? Because there's someone who has come back. There's Lazarus who has come back and said, there is nothing to fear. Look, death is not some dark abyss that you enter into for all eternity and you're just floating about pointlessly and aimlessly. No, death is the door to God's heart. Death is the door by which you and me and all who believe in God step into the presence of God and experience all of his joy, all of his perfect peace, all of his laughter for eternity. Can you imagine that? What it would be like to be like Lazarus and, and laugh with that kind of true joy having come back to your life from the dead. Same relationships, same church, same job, 
same routine, same old, same old, but everything's different. You imagine that? As you look back on the year and the milestones we're observing last week and this coming week of everything unprecedented, and we think about how we don't know what our future looks like. Can you, can you imagine that? What it would be like to experience no fear, but always calm and never an anxious thought. As you think about your future, your kid's future, this church's future, this country's future. Can you imagine that? What it would be like to experience sickness, but no fear. Rejection, but no fear. Threats and, and maybe even harm, but no fear. Grief, but no sadness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? I think you can. Because you know the resurrection and the life. You know that you have a Savior who knows you, who loves you, and who gives life to you. You know that. Do you believe? Yes. <laughs> yes, I believe that you are the Christ who has come into the world. The play that Eugene O'Neill wrote is called Lazarus Laughed. And the play ends because not everybody loved Lazarus' laughter. <laughs> If you know anything about Roman history, you know enough to know that they didn't like people stepping out of line, especially Christians, and so they persecuted them. And what they saw in Lazarus and in his community is a group of people who had no fear, who didn't respect authority. And so they put Lazarus before the Roman emperor. And it was one of the worst, one of the meanest Roman emperors, Emperor Caligula. And he told him to stop laughing or you will die. And you know what Lazarus did? He laughed. He laughed because the greatest threat, the thing that the emperor could possibly hold over his head as a way to control him or, or incite fear in him, couldn't touch him. It couldn't touch him. And death and grief no longer can touch you because Christ came and Christ comes. He comes to you through his word and he reminds you and me that he knows. He knows you, he loves you, and he gives you life. And he calls you his beloved. Amen.